Well, it's a sweet providence of the Lord that I get to preach on this particular text. Those of you who have stayed with us throughout this series, you have aged quite a bit back in the days before vehicles and televisions. It's like, it's like one of those little bitty mystery snakes where you put a little water and it just grows bigger and bigger and bigger. Every time I reference when we started this series, it just grows. But back when we started, the Lord in his kindness allowed me to preach on a number of dinner interactions with Jesus. And one of you kindly at the back as I was, you know, doing the things, shaking the hands and all of that, I had said, ooh, we should do a series. You could do a series called Dining with Christ. And no, no, no. They said it needs to be Suppers with the Savior. That's a pretty good title. And it immediately, for me, tied it to this particular interaction, this particular meal, that as we shall see, Jesus was so excited to share with his disciples. And so I'm excited that you and I get to look at this together. It's actually remarkably short as compared to some of his other descriptions of suppers and dinners that we have seen with Jesus. And actually the couple of sections that follow this probably happened as they were supping together. But Luke seems to have Ah, brought all the elements together from the Lord's Supper, from the beginning, middle, and end, and just wanted to highlight it for you. Like, like a jeweler with that dark cloth, and he just puts the jewel on top. So there's nothing else that you can see. And that's, that's what Luke does here. Because there's something about eating together. There's something about suppers. I, I would bet that many of you, when you first came to know the person that you are married to, that first time you interacted with each other, at any length also included a meal. Because there's something that happens in those meals. And Luke highlights that throughout his gospel. And yet he loves this one most. And so I am looking forward to us looking to it together. It really has, even though as short as it is, it has three components. A desire that we see in verses 14 through 16. A dinner, verses 16 and 20. And a danger, verses 21 through 23. Before we read God's word, let's go to him in prayer and ask his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, how glorious and wonderful is this text, as all texts, Lord, but there's something particularly sweet about the fellowship that Christ has with his disciples. This on the eve where he will be betrayed, where he will be mocked and tortured, and yet so eager to be with his people. 
Lord, we ask that some sense of that eagerness, joy, love, and satisfaction which we see in this text would be clear and it would do its work on our own hearts that we would feel something of the joy and love and excitement that you have for us, even us broken disciples like us. Do it and get all the glory and honor for it. We love you and pray this in your son's name. Amen. Luke 22, starting in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another. Which of them it could be who is going to do this? Praise be to God for his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truths on all of our hearts. Well, let's start at the beginning The hour has come. That's how Luke describes their time together now for this Lord's Supper. There's really two things kind of in view as Luke uses that verbiage. The hour has come. Christ himself has said a couple of times, my hour is not yet. I'm going to heal you. You go off, but don't tell anybody My hour is not yet. People trying to get him, uh, arrest him. My hour has not yet come. And then, of course, he sets his face like flint towards Jerusalem. And it's coming. We all know that it's coming, but, but when? And you can almost feel the sort of pins and needles for the disciples. They know, they can sense it's coming, but is it now? Is it tomorrow? Is it a week from now? You and I actually kind of know this feeling a little bit here recently. There's been all this buildup about Israel and what Israel's going to do and when it's going to do. Everyone could see it. Everyone knew it was coming, but when was it going to be? When was Israel going to actually execute this ground siege? When was the hour going to be for Jesus? 
And here Luke is telling you it's a big flag. This is it. This is it. This is the beginning of Jesus' suffering. He, he even notes that, doesn't he? He says that to the disciples in this weird juxtaposition that I can't even fully get my mind around. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And there would never, brothers and sisters, never be a suffering like this again. A suffering for an innocent man who did nothing, walked perfectly, and took the sins of many, placarded like a sign upon him, allowing the wrath of the Father to befall him, just so that you and I might have his righteous robes, so that you and I might become part of his family. There is an unjust suffering here. What? I wonder, if it were you, and you knew what was coming, as Christ obviously knows what is coming, what is your emotional state? Disciples, I'm scared. I need you to just... Qu- Quit talking and debating among yourself. Who cares who's the greatest of you? Do you understand what I'm about to do? Just focus on me for a moment. Support me, love me, and know Jesus. Jesus is excited. He's excited to eat this meal with his beloved disciples. Actually, he's, he's incredibly excited. That's how the language works itself out. You know, Luke doesn't do a bunch of Hebraisms, that is like words as they would have been said in Hebrew or Aramaic, more than likely with Jesus, because he's writing to Theophilus and so he tries to make it in such a way that Gentiles really understand. But it seems like he must have gotten a first-hand report that this is what Jesus said. This is word for word what Jesus has said because he says, not just, I have earnestly desired. He said, desiring I have desired. What? That's weird. Well, you see... In the ancient Near East, in Hebrew and in Aramaic, when you put these two words, same verb, just two different forms, right next to each other, it's as emphatic. It is bold, underline. Do you remember way back when Microsoft Word, they had the like little sparkly text? Why they thought that anybody would want the sparkly text? Can you imagine sending a business email and it's the sparkly shimmery text in your email. I trained people in Microsoft Word 97 and I always had to show them there's bold and there's italics and there's undersigned and there's sparkly. No one ever used sparkly. It's all of those combined. That's what it is for Jesus here. The first time you actually encounter something like this, uh, um, 
a construction that has those two words, different forms, but, but same words right next to each other is actually Genesis 2.17. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. The Hebrew there is dying, you will die. There's no question about it. It's absolutely true. That, that same phrase, surely you will die, which is usually a judgment coming from God, occurs some 49 times in your Old Testament. And here is Jesus using that same form, except it's not you're surely going to die. It's earnestly I have desired this, to be with you, you broken disciples who bicker about who's the greatest and don't seem to be able to understand what I've told you and fall asleep when I need you most. And yet I can't wait to share this meal with you. Actually, no, that's how Jesus feels about all of his disciples. All of them, you included if you love the Lord. Don't, don't you want desperately for somebody to desire to be with you like that? I don't even desire to be with myself. Sometimes you look in the mirror and you're just like, Ugh. I know, I know all my sins. I know all my failures. And you know what? So does Jesus, except he knows them better than I know them myself. And he says, I earnestly desire to have this meal with you. That is a beauty and a fellowship that is unequaled in any relationship you will ever have. So there's a desire. But there's also a dinner. He, he goes on to establish this dinner. Jesus knows what it's like to have a dinner, something, something that helps his faith. That's what the Passover meal, that's, that's what they're celebrating here. It's, it's transitioning. We get this beautiful moment where we get to see, and it's the transition from Passover meal to Lord's Supper right here, right now. And the Passover meal, well, it has been something that has helped buoy even Jesus' perfect faith. That's what visible signs do, is they help our frail faith. You and I, we have frail faith. Jesus has perfect faith, and yet it helped him. Can you imagine Jesus as he is growing in stature and wisdom before God and man. And he celebrates the Passover meal again and again every year. And what does the Passover meal represent? Of course, it represents that terrible tenth plague. That God brought his people out of bondage. And that last plague was the death of all the firstborns. Well, unless you did this thing, unless you went and you slaughtered a lamb 
probably a lamb no more than a year old. And you took his blood and you got a hyssop branch and you sprinkled it on your door. And, and then the angel of death passed over and your firstborn, well, he wasn't taken. Now Jesus, as he begins to grow up, what does he know about that lamb? That's him. He's that lamb. He's the one that is going to be slaughtered. He's the one whose precious blood will save many. As he recognizes there's a firstborn that shall die, that many might be mine, that many might be adopted into the family of God. That's why one of the grand pictures that we see in Revelation is Jesus as what? The Lamb of God. Because he is that sacrifice. The sacrifice that that entire system, hundreds of years pointed to, as Neil so wonderfully explained to us this morning. All of these various elements of the sacrificial system, all pointing to one reality, and it's Jesus. And can you imagine him? In his human mind, as he begins to recognize. In his divine mind, he always knew. He always knew. But in his human mind, as he's beginning to grow and as he begins to realize, that's me. And he partakes and he eats. And yet it strengthens his faith. And so he's eager that he could have this meal because he knows his disciples need this. They need this sort of aid to their faith. Not just here and now, but as he says, every time you do it, remembrance of me. Because you have three different time horizons all kind of coming together in this one act. You have the past. You have, a, you have a Passover lamb sacrificed. You've got an entire sacrificial system all pointing to Jesus. You've got a present. His current fellowship right there with them. We'll actually talk a little bit more about that in just a second. And then the future. Right? He says, I won't celebrate this again until the kingdom of God is fully consummated. This celebratory meal. He's peeking into the future, seeing what you and I would see in Revelation 19, the wedding feast of the Lamb. But what he probably saw in Isaiah 25, that same beautiful feast where death itself will be swallowed up. And the best of meat, full of marrow, and the very best of wine, yes, wine, Southern Seminary, yes, wine. Anyway, we'll be there and there will be celebration. And Jesus sees all of that coming together in this beautiful, grand supper. An ordinance that will be handed down for all of his believers 
for all of time. Uh, when I get the privilege of administering the Lord's Supper, which happens about once a year or so, I always say that if you could somehow have a time machine and the disciples could come back and see what you and I do, they would be confused. They would be confused by lighting and they'd be confused by our language. There's a lot that they wouldn't understand. And yet, even a first century believer, the moment you and I passed out the elements, they would go, I know what that is. I know exactly what that is. I did that with my Lord and Savior. Right now, as I do this thing, he, he's with me. And he was always excited about this. Because the Lord's Supper, it, it strengthens our faith. It's, it's what we often call a means of grace. A means of grace. It communicates grace to you. Your, your faith needs that grace. And I love Sinclair here where kind of in a way that's a little bit of a poke at the bear, he says, grace isn't a thing. What? I mean, he's Sinclair, so you can't argue with him, obviously. He says, grace isn't a thing. It's not some commodity that you and I can buy and sell and trade. Grace is Jesus. Grace is a person. And so in the institution of this supper, what Jesus is saying is, is you're going to get me every time you do this. That's what you and I get. The, the present that was present for the disciples, that Jesus was right there. And by the way, none of them thought, hmm, interesting, I'm actually eating Jesus' body right now. No one thought that, okay? So no, no Catholic theology of transubstantiation, the, the bread somehow turning into the body of Jesus, no consubstantiation, oh, it's kind of in through and underneath. I have no idea what that even means. No, it's bread and it's juice. That's what it is. And yet it's not a mere memorial. We don't just do it like we're looking at a postcard. Oh, there's Jesus dying for me. How wonderful. No, no, no. It is a very real event for us. Every time we do it, our souls are lifted up. It's a mystery. We don't, we don't understand exactly how it works, but there is a very real presence of the Lord every time you do it. Every time we have the Lord's Supper, you can hear I was earnestly excited. I earnestly desired that we should share this meal together. Now, lastly and quickly, there's a danger. He issues a woe. A woe is a promise in the negative. Right? Sometimes you and I, we, we cling to those promises that the Lord makes us. We need it in order that we might get through some really difficult things. At least I do. I don't know about you. There are times when all I can do is hold on by faith that covenantal promise. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Those are the sort of covenant promises I need. Day by day, moment by moment. Well, a woe is a promise, but a promise that something negative is about to happen. If you breach the covenant in a certain way, that there is something coming that is terrible and unpleasant. And some people don't like to read this and don't like to think about this and don't like to think about Jesus as somebody who is a pronouncer of woes. In fact, there was a, a whole movement called the Jesus Seminar back around 2000 or so, and they, they all sat around a circle and they would read parts of the gospel and they would put beads in whether or not they thought it was really Jesus's words and really accurate and not, and it was terrible. Just a, I don't even know who comes up with these terrible ideas, and I don't even know who'd want to sit in that circle. Sounds like the worst circle in the history of circles. But somehow, this passes, and this whole part where Jesus gives a woe, it's gray. That means they, there's no way they think this happened. Jesus could never give a woe. Oh, but Jesus gives more than anyone else. And he speaks of hell more than anyone else. You know why? It's not because he's some domineering tyrant. It's because he's a lover of your soul. There would be a bad physician if you had some terminal ailment and they pretended everything was okay. And instead, Jesus is telling you, Look, if, if you play with fellowship with me, woe to you. Now, there may be some here. There are various reasons why you might play at fellowship with Jesus. I have been involved with, started two separate businesses in my life, and yet I'm here, so probably don't take business advice from me. Uh, but both times I had people tell me, number one business tip in the South, you know what it was? Join a church. And because in a church, you've got a network of people. And once your name gets out amongst them that you do X, Y, or Z, they'll start trusting you and they'll send business your way. It's a great way to kind of break in. So, so maybe you or someone you know, you're here because it makes good business sense. Or maybe you're here because somebody else wants you here. Maybe it's a parent and you're still trying to please them. Maybe it's someone you're trying to pursue, you know, really pursue. And they aren't interested in you if you're not interested in Jesus, which they shouldn't be. And so you're willing to come to even evening worship in order to show them that you're very serious about this. Well, whatever your reason, if you're here tonight, if you're listening to this sometime in the future, if you're online, I don't know why you would be online if you're just playing with Jesus. But if, that, if that's you, this is a very serious woe from Jesus. There's something coming. And you can either be on the part of the lamb's side. One who knows. I'm a broken, 
disciple, without hope in myself, who doesn't deserve a loving heavenly Father, a good, gracious Savior, and His Spirit who indwells me and never, ever leaves me. I don't deserve any of that, and yet for His reasons and Him alone, He loves me. Or you can be on the side of the goats. Some things are just binary. They just are. And Jesus is saying, as you're playing like a sheep, but you're really a goat, woe to you. Jesus is not to be trifled with. Hebrews tells us it's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. He is a living and powerful being. So, I'd conclude with this. If you're here and you don't know the joy, the love, the satisfaction of Christ as yours, your elder brother, your bridegroom, your friend and teacher, each one of those displaying something more about his heart, brother or sister, I would put it before you, repent and just pray. Lord, give me the faith that I need that I might be yours. Because God is good to give that which he requires, namely faith. It's not you. It's not your own gumption. Secondly, if you're here and you're just playing with Jesus, you're just here for some other reason, for some other person, and I'm not talking about if you're here and you're an inquirer. If you're here and you're really genuinely interested, is this Jesus thing even a thing? Keep coming. We want you here. We want you exactly in those seats, and there are no questions you can't come and ask, especially Neil. He'll answer any question that you have. But if, if you're here just pretending, hear Jesus' woe. Goat or sheep, there is no middle way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son that he might be that which we could not be, that he might complete that which we should have and could not. For dying for us, And not only that, Lord, being excited and joyful about what you sent him to do. We can't even fully comprehend what that is. Lord, we ask that you would help us more and more to love our Savior. And that as we love him, Lord, there might be more of him in us. We might desire more and more in all the various facets of our life to look like him so that as people encounter us, if it's as neighbor or friend, co-worker, fellow student, they couldn't help but encounter you when they encounter us. Would you do it and get all the glory and honor for it? We love you and pray this in your son's name. Amen.